0: Welcome to the next in a series of Ask a Chair podcasts brought to you by SAEM Rams.
1: So my name is Chad Mayer. I'm one of the second year emergency medicine residents at Ohio State University. And I'm here on behalf of Rams interviewing Dr. Deb Dirks, who is chair at University of Texas Southwestern correct?
0: That is correct.
1: And you tell telling me you've been there for four years. Thank you so much for coming to talk with us. I have a few questions for you that resident and medical student body voted on, so let's get going. First question, you trained at the University of Cincinnati, which is one of several residency programs known for producing a larger than average number of future chairs. Do you think you always wanted to be chair and thus chose a program like Cincinnati, or do you think it was a program that pushed you in that direction, or was it maybe some combination of both?
0: You know, I don't. I can definitively say I have not always wanted to be chair. That wasn't on my radar at all when I started residency. I chose my residency based on where I was really impressed by the people and who I was working with, and kind of at the time where I thought would be the greatest fit. And and you're right. It's, it, you look back and I think back about Cincinnati and who I worked with and who uh, I got to train with. And right now, two of my chief residents are chairs. Okay, ahead had me in residency. Had me a residency chair. One of my interns when I was chief is now a chair. And so we do have this kind of a historical kind of expectation, I guess, to produce a lot of chairs. And I was trying to think on why that happened. Definitely the residents are great, but I've worked with a ton of great residents at Davis and at UT Southwestern that are just as amazing clinically and terrific people. And I think it may be the sponsorship and the exposure to people who have those aspirations and leadership skills, and them being able to expose you to that opportunity early on that probably doesn't make you want to be a chair, but prepares you to be a chair in a way that if that ever comes up, you've got the skill set and the contacts and all the experiences needed.
1: And how is that something you can look for when you're interviewing for residency programs or when you're coming out of residency and looking for mentorship and maybe fellowships
0: you need to really look at where the faculty are from and what they do and where the residents go of that program to me i wanted i'm from the west coast so my plan always the minute i entered my residency at cincinnati was to get a job back in california that was you know there was no question about that's where i was going and so i knew when i went to cincinnati that they had placed residents all over the country and i think that was really important for my kind of long-term goal where I want it to be. And I think that knowing where the residents go, knowing what the faculty do, knowing what the faculty have gone on to, really can give you a little insight on what kind of pedigree that program has and what the opportunities will be in the future.
1: Great. And speaking of California, your first job of residency was back at UC Davis is that correct? It was. Tell us a little bit about that and do you feel your first job prepared you for where you are now how did it influence future career?
0: 100% prepared me to where I'm now because that's the only place I ever worked other than my current job so I went from starting faculty there to going up through and becoming a vice chair and kind of moving on to be a chair so I think it completely shaped probably my more professional development than anything else, and I think it's unusual these days to kind of stay in one spot for as long as I did, the 16 years, but I was surrounded by an amazing group of faculty that were terrific to have as colleagues and as friends, just really kind of work together to build the program there and to build our own future careers, and so it's been just the opportunities there were probably what really helped me. I really progressed in my own career, and watching my chair there really showed me that I probably could do this job, although some days I doubt that, but um, really could, could do this job and kind of be a chair. And so I 100% credit my time and the great colleagues I had as faculty there at UTC Davis to getting me, kind of where I am now.
1: Can you speak a bit to finding that first job out of residency? Did you do a fellowship before going to Davis? Was this before fellowships were really required, and how did you get into that position?
0: Right, so I'm old. And so um, back when I started, you didn't have to do a fellowship to get into academics. And coming from a four-year program was very, very easy. I must confess, I interviewed at one spot and took that job. I had the job in September of my fourth year and didn't really look back. It was right exactly where I wanted to be, in the location I wanted to be. And so I was really, I didn't have to worry about that job career. Again, I trained and graduated in an era where fellowships weren't the mainstay. We didn't have research fellowships. We didn't have all that. And so I was able to take advantage of something that UC Davis offered, which was a sabbatical, to go ahead and six to eight years after I started, go ahead and get my degree for research and go back and get a master's in epi, which was really helpful for my research career. It kind of at least puts me a little on par with everyone who's graduating now as far as my research knowledge and stuff. So I was fortunate enough to be able to do that.
1: And that was at Harvard, correct? That was at Harvard. How do you feel taking a pause a few years into the career affected the career? Did it jumpstart it? Did it put some things on hold? Is there room for people who aren't sure what to do go in, do some training, and come back and get a fellowship or more advanced degree later?
0: So I think it was a perfect thing for me. Again, I didn't have to have that degree to get the job I wanted. But by working in research for a few years and kind of developing my own kind of niche, I knew what I needed to know, and I knew what I didn't know. So going into a training program when you already have acknowledge your own weaknesses really makes it much more viable because so I could go into classes and into coursework and develop you know colleagues during that school time that had my same interests and could help me and so I really think it was probably more of a jump start I think also I had my first daughter March of my fourth year residency and my second daughter about 18 months later and so for me I put family out first for those first six to eight years of my career as far as really had to balance work-family, and then by the time they were old enough, six to eight, it was easier for me to go away for a summer, get my training, go back, and then go back another summer. And so for me, it was a perfect balance of kind of jump-starting my career, but also balancing work-life.
1: And I think that's a huge struggle that many residents feel, especially those with families. Your particular research interest is in the early management of acute coronary syndrome and the intersection of gender along with cardiac biomarkers. How do you think this research has influenced your career as chair and vice versa?
0: You know, I think that my research interest was really stemmed from when I was a resident and given opportunities. And so I'm not sure my research niche has really developed me as a chair, but it's shown me the value of mentoring and providing faculty opportunities and making sure that exposing people to things that they can run with. You know, I'm forever grateful for Dr. Gibbler at Cincinnati for when I was a resident saying, hey, do you want to do this research project with me? And then he kind of got me on committees afterwards. And I think that that sponsorship and that mentorship really is what makes this academic career that we are in so valuable. And I think that having people kind of shepherd me through that process, you know, Judd Hollander, Frank Peacock, there's a bunch of people that really made my career so much easier really as a chair makes you realize the importance of doing that for everybody even if they aren't in research if they're educators or not but knowing the value of having someone to get
1: people to where they want to be and help them is really important. What advice do you have for women in particular who may struggle to find their footing in an ever-changing though largely still male-dominated emergency medicine administrative world?
0: I probably am one of the more at least feminine chairs. I like sports. I like beer. I like you know all that kind of stuff. So for me, I honestly don't, didn't have never looked for a glass ceiling. And that's so I don't think I've ever seen it. And I think that part of it is believing that you can do it and believing that there is no barrier is really important. I think that as women, sometimes we put our own restrictions on us and the fear of failure can sometimes limit what you do. On the other hand, I'm very cognizant of the concern people have that there are gender disparity And making sure that what we do within our department is transparent and that there is no gender disparity within my department, things I can't control, and that I provide opportunities to everyone. Whether that means figuring out innovative ways for them to balance their career life or to get them on committees that I think would help them in the future. And so I know that there are glass ceilings out there. I cognizant of that just for me personally. I don't think I've felt them.
1: How do you think... Advanced degrees such as an MBA or, in your case, a master's in public health from Harvard are crucial to a career as a chair. If they're not or if they are, then how do you feel your master's degree has helped your career?
0: So I think my master's degree was important for my research. I think it made me much more confident and comfortable in the analysis and skill set and language I needed to do, used to speak with researchers and colleagues and research itself. The MBA and being a chair, I'm not sure yet. I did take some courses before I got the chair job so I can understand the lingo. Still think there's a value. and read a ton of books on team development and developing successful teams and how to hold meetings and all that self-help things that I think are important to let me kind of understand how people think. I think the MBA is probably going to be more important based on what I decide that next step is going to be in my career. And I'm not sure what that is yet. Hopefully I'll grow up and figure that out eventually. But uh, right now I don't know. And I struggle with that a lot on whether I should be an MBA or not. Not for now, but for the future.
1: What advice would you give for residents who are near graduation considering academic jobs? What should they look for in an department chair such as yourself? And specifically for women, what should they be looking for in a department that may help them advance their research or other academic niche or career?
0: I think for women, looking for a department that has women leadership. I think that really shows kind of the mentality of the department, how the structure is, and the opportunities that are going to exist in the future. Yeah, I think that really will balance out and make and give somebody a good idea of what the future direction is. I think for what you should look for in a department, and I guess a department chair, is someone that is willing to focus more on your career than theirs. I think that that is one of the traits that I, I told myself when I was going to be a chair, I wasn't even going to consider it until I was ready for this not to be about me anymore. That my research is second, you know, is, is on the back burner and will have to not be in the forefront. That it's all about my joy and my accomplishments are on the accomplishments of others. And I think that as long as you work for someone who has that mentality, that they're gonna want you to succeed as much as they want. Anything else, I think that's really important.
1: I agree, that does sound really important. So you help run emergency departments at both Parkland and UT Southwestern University Hospitals while doing research and being a nationally recognized leader. What is your typical week like? What is your balance between academics, your own research, running the departments, clinical shifts, and two daughters?
0: Yeah, yeah. the the, the two daughters come first, at least I think so. I think that, so I've only worked night shifts since my second daughter is born, and she is 18 and a half. So I have stuck to night shifts. So my typical clinical schedule is I pretty much work every Thursday night or I work weekends. My work week will usually be meetings Monday through Friday. And then Thursday, if I work a night, it's about an 18-hour day for me. And I'll go home and I will sleep till about 1 or 2 and I'll have some meetings Friday afternoon if I have conference calls. And that's kind of, that's work for me. And as crazy as it is, I'm not sure it's good balance for everybody else. But that kind of strategy for my career has let me be what I want to be, which is there for my kiddos when they want me and want to talk or need homework help or goodness gracious, need a dance help, which I'm horrible at, but you know, all those kind of things that they want me to go to. That's been my foundation is just night shifts and trying to balance my work with the kid's schedule. Research, I really try to get done to spend one day a week on kind of my stuff, whether it's writing chapters or committee work. My dean, when I took the job, said, look at off a day. And I did, and that lasted a week. And so I think that that is my biggest frustration, is that I could probably be more productive at research. It's just finding the time. And then when I have an hour, not wanting to, like, chat with other people or see how things are going or let other things enter it. So probably my research is one of the things I struggle with most, I do really well on getting my medical students who work with me to do research and kind of mentoring those people, but just me on my own is probably my biggest challenge. The clinical stuff it takes, it's in the forefront all the time. That is one of the things I kind of swore to myself would, would I be, I'd be present. And I think it's a balance of trying not to micromanage, but to be informed and to be there. And one of the places I work is Parkland, and that is a little bit of a clinical beast with one hundred and fifty, maybe hit sixty thousand ED visits in our main, and about seventy three in our urgent care. And so, balancing how to see all those patients, how to keep the faculty happy, making sure the residents get the education they want, addressing all the challenges—that probably consumes a lot of my free thoughts on trying to make it better. Clements is its own challenge, but it's a little different, and the resilience of the faculty there is a little bit easier to kind of manage where parkland there's just a lot of balancing way too many patients for way too small space and trying to make sure it's a good decent clinical environment so if i had to say i spent a lot of time worrying more about parkland and the residents and the faculty and how they're handling things
1: i understand that one of the big themes that's emerging i think in the last couple years is wellness at all levels how do you manage wellness at a location that huge?
0: It's been a big challenge. We've had department meetings and discussed wellness, and we're going to create a wellness committee, and we've had wellness events. Yet when you get people in a room and have them talk about wellness and what would help them you know, with that, it all comes down to the clinical environment. And so you'll get five or ten ideas about things outside, but the, the discussion goes back to the impact on our clinical environment and how that impacts our overall well-being. And so that's a struggle. Because when you're working at a county hospital, the resources and how much you have and how you can try to do things is a little bit, your hand's a little tied. And so that is something that I spend time trying to do silly stuff, like put in the budget, I need coffee. We need coffee for the residents and faculty. They can't go get coffee. Let's have coffee for them. And, you know, I've learned from Jeff Klein's done it in their hospital, but I threw out the idea of let's have wellness dogs, you know through the department just put a smile on somebody's face and so trying to figure out innovative ways just to bring a little bit of joy during a shift may be the best thing i can do because i think a lot of the other components are overshadowed and people are just miserable in their clinical shifts
1: it's a very tough question one that i think several committees here will be trying to address yeah. i think anyone's really wrapped their head around how to define it or how to take it on directly last question i had for you Sounds like you're a very busy chair and mother, researcher, but you said you mentor some medical students. What should we be looking for in mentors, and do you think that we should be afraid to approach any particular faculty to be our mentor?
0: I think the biggest challenge is finding a mentor that can give you time. And so as long as you have someone that's committed to putting in the time in with you, I think it's a good relationship. But I think understanding what those expectations are up front and understanding as a student what your ability to self motivate your own project I had some terrific med students that I work with and they knew that my door was open they had a question they came in but on the other hand I wasn't going to do everything for them so you know enrolling and stuff they'd come in we'd talk about their challenges if they had any we'd talk about their issues with the methods they wrote the draft and so I think that because I don't have time I'm not the mentor who's going to do everything and say here you sign here I've just done all your work but working with students and just making sure that they know that this is what I expect from them but I'm going to have my door. Do not hesitate to come say hello. I think it really worked. We both got what we needed out of the relationship. And so I don't think it's really who your mentor is. It's what they're going to
1: offer you. That's more important. Well, thanks so much for taking some time to talk with us. Again, this is Chad Mayer for Rams, interviewing Dr. Deb Durge from UT Southwestern. And thanks so much for your time. Thanks.